They were high school sweethearts that got married and had a kid. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our Low Effort, Low Quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. And uh, I never talk loud enough in this thing. Uh, you know, the, the vo- volume is an issue at times. It's an issue. You guys got to let us know about the audio quality. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, you know, we're not experts. We're, you know, uh, It's a podcast of love. <laughs> so, you know, I try to mess with the levels, but not too much. Uh, it's an artisanal small batch handcrafted podcast it is actually so uh, no ads we're not on a platform i mean we distribute through a platform because i mean what else can you do but you know other than that no real equipment to speak of not on a podcast network oh hundreds of dollars of equipment in fact it's amazing that you can spend that much on something and the microphone is still basically like speaking through a tin can with a string in the bottom ah I don't think it, I don't think it has a tinny quality. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to upstage you, but the microphones they have in the post studio, you can like whisper into that thing from 40 feet away. Well, I mean, I'm we could spend saying. more money on mics if you want. I don't think we could buy a studio. Anyways, we have a special podcast episode today. I don't know if maybe special is the wrong word. Matt but just doesn't want to talk about the news today. Well, you know, we had in the beginning of the podcast, we had a few episodes that were sort of just like Here's an interesting topic, yeah. you know, like a vintage episode. Yeah. And people seem to like those. And, you know, those it's are hard interesting to tell to what do. you guys like. Uh, you seem to give us blanket approval. That's true. Well, you can look on the SoundCloud and you can see the plays. That's true. That's true. And so that gives you an indicator. There's nothing like that in the Patreon. I don't know how many people click <laughs> through the Patreon thing. You guys got to sound off um, in the comments. Yes, <laughs> you can leave comments yeah. if you want. Tell us uh, what you like. Only good ones, though, please. Yeah, please don't be negative. Um, anyways, the State of the Union was this week. And there was a, all the think tanks and think tank type people, they like get real geared up for the State of the Union and they like, they have like tweets that are ready to go and that sort of thing. I don't do that. Maybe I should. I'm not a pro think tank man on that level yet. Um, But one of the think tankers that one of their things was they were showing that women's employment and women's labor force participation peaked in 2000. And then it's kind of gone down a little bit since then, right? So, you know, you had this big run-up between, I don't know, 1960 and 2000 where more and more women were working, you know, used to. There were many more, like, stay-at-home parents and whatnot. And then 2000 just kind of peaks and sort of dips a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, the, the tweet in question was sort of like, oh, you know, we need more uh, family-friendly policies and that sort of thing, which I agree with. But there was this implication that the reason why women's labor participation has dipped is because, uh, you know, we don't have child uh, child care policies or something like that. And I've heard this for a long time and I always find it a little confusing because we didn't have good child care benefits in 2000 either. No. So how could it be that that's causing it to dip? Yeah. It could be that that's making it much lower than it would otherwise be. But why would it make it go down if benefits are just as bad as they've always been? And so I looked into this a while ago. And one of the things I was interested in looking into is whether the change in racial composition in the workforce had anything to do with it. Because we know that the Latino population has gotten much, much bigger over the past, you know, couple decades. Yeah. And so I did a very simple math using the current population survey, and I showed that the changing racial composition explains about half 
of the decline in women's labor force participation and, and in women's employment. And in particular, the reason I even thought that this might be a thing and what seems to have confirmed this is that's mostly driven by married Latina women. Married Latina women have much lower labor force participation, much lower employment than any other kind of women. And the reasons for this, I presume, based on what I know about Europe, is Catholic religion or Catholic culture or whatever you want to call it. You see those kinds of patterns in France, Spain, Spain, Italy... Ireland, uh, you know, so they've changed a little bit and, over and time. So but the pattern is basically women who are married and have kids uh, don't work in the labor market. In Catholic countries. Yeah. Like when you do a cross-country thing in Europe and you want to like plot things. Yeah. You'll notice there's this little grouping that always shows up over there. Yeah. Portugal, Spain, etc. And when it comes to employment, they're always sitting over there. And like the thing they all have in common seems to have been yeah. Catholic History, which, you know, has different gender norms and whatever. What, then um, Protestantism? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Protestantism doesn't have different gender norms. It just has much stronger get-your-ass-to-work norms. Or whatever it happens to be. I it's mean, not men, like men, a, men work. work. It, it's no great honor under Protestant theology to go to work, right? It's not like women are being uh, given equality. It's more like get off your lazy ass and go to work. God's not going to do it for you. I have to defer to you. I don't know this <laughs> per, the precise mechanisms. Well, I think, um, and, and, and I also think that Catholicism, uh, or at least, you know, the Catholic theology of work, especially that developed through the 20th century, actually very vocally identified in-home labor as labor. So that, they're like... That's an important point. Women we'll are already working. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's right. So that could be, that would be one explanation. Right, is um, that they're like, well, everybody's working, right? But... It doesn't have uh, to be market labor. Right. And so, and, and of um, course, in Protestantism, you get smaller family sizes and so, so easier. That's a big to thing as well, I presume, go to work. right? You yeah. Have, if you have a lot more kids, it makes more sense to stay home because the opportunity costs of having to pay for daycare pay and for so daycare. on. Is, right. And then in the, in, the, in the sequence of life, when you're having children and you're just pregnant all the time, it would be difficult to, you right. know, to, to go into work and then take off work and go back and take off and Absolutely. so forth. And uh, yeah, and kids get sick and so, yeah. you know. There are a lot of situations like that. And so as this kind of unfolded on Twitter, very uh, good conversation between a number of think tank people, very uh, civil and that sort of thing. Um, I hit upon that, you know, this is an interesting issue that would be interesting for a podcast and is an issue I've had to deal with because I'm about to release my family fund pack paper where I have family benefits. And when you're constructing a system of family benefits, you have to address this question kind of head on and that is the question is what do you do about the fact that a large portion of women i don't know the exact percentages would prefer to be stay-at-home mothers um actually i looked at a recent survey at gallup it was pretty high i think it was just over half said that they would prefer to be um not nearly that many are but what do you do about that right um, how do you form policy around that preference? How do you form policy? Do you recognize that preference? Do you, is that a legitimate preference? Should, posa- should policy enable that preference? Should it try to fight against it? And this is a, a problem that has occurred over and over and over again in the construction of family benefits. Yeah. And it raises a lot of difficult questions around sort of liberalism low l lowercase l liberalism yeah um and that sort of thing and so like i guess the first the jumping off point which i think would be interesting to talk about is when you're entering in these discussions the first thing you kind of have to answer is um okay well do we recognize these preferences as being a function of sort of patriarchal culture and therefore something we kind of need to move away from just in the sense that some people have say racist preferences yeah. And we don't like want to acknowledge those for the most part. Um, or do we recognize this as being, no, this is one approach just like any other approach. Um, yeah. It's a different type of lifestyle. Um, just like other people might have other kinds of lifestyle choices that we tend to say, that's okay. We will, yeah. you know, support that. Like, like uh, what if you just want to live in a big house with your friends your whole life? 
yeah. Like that is um, abnormal, yeah. but we don't have a problem with that person. Yeah, people are allowed um, to be PhD candidates. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people who've done this. <laughs> so like, um, though there, there have also been some efforts to push against that. I, you know, yeah. uh, you can't have, like in... Um, in Norman, Oklahoma, there was apparently a rule that you couldn't have more than four unrelated people in a household, huh. which is uh, an effort. Oh, you see lots of little zoning code things. They can't have multiple kitchens. You can't have multiple entrances and things like that. They're trying to uh, codify basically the, the shape of the families that live in an area. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess people do push back against yeah, those they things. do push back against um, it. So that's sort of the first question is how do you how do you navigate that? I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, it certainly depends, right? I mean, um, y- you can look at, uh, you, I guess you, you would separate, or I think it's possible to separate uh, labor market participation from financial independence. Okay. Right. So I think, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, well, is this uh, a way of life that makes it uh, difficult for women to sort of self-actualize mm-hmm. uh, working in the home instead of outside the home. Uh, well, I mean, that depends on a variety of factors, mm-hmm. right? Uh, <laughs> is Kim Kardashian not some kind of a stay-at-home mom? Right? Well, she, yeah. She has some gigs Employment and stuff. Employment is complicated in some <laughs> cases. But, but, uh, but she has kids, and, and she seems to kind of... Uh, be around them, uh, right? And and isn't at least working like a regular nine to five. Yeah, she's an influencer. Right. And so, but I mean, but I don't think that I would ast- I would identify her as someone who is much oppressed, right? Because she's, you know, quite financially Yeah, it's an interesting. And, and so... The question yeah. uh, is like location. <laughs> is it is the is the is the uh, the thing that prevents the self actualization? Is it that you are not going to a work site, or right. is it that you are not receiving independent flows of cash? Right. Uh, that that's an interesting. I had never considered that <laughs> issue because it, it is part. It's like get out of the house. And it's right. Like, well, I don't even get out of the house because I work in right. my home. Right. I work <laughs> from home, so uh, or or at least you know a good a good chunk of the time. Um, but you know, I would consider myself pretty financially independent. Another wrinkle, if I wanted to be right, another wrinkle is even if you're working outside the home, uh, if basically all of your salary is going towards childcare, I don't know. Can you call that financial independence? I mean, you're also pretty trapped at that point, uh, in, in this pattern that you're in. And it's not like you have the money because of your obligations to the family members and so forth. It's not like you have, you know, fuck you money as you can't just walk. You don't have wealth. Right. So so that's that's also a wrinkle. So, I mean, I think when you you look at it, there are situations where, you know, being in the home uh, is not very legally protected. You know, women who stay in the home, if you want to put it that way, I mean, it's kind of an archaic way of putting it, but women who work in the home. Uh, women who are people who do home child care, basically what we're talking right, about. Right. Or for elderly and, you know, whatever, do all the other tasks associated with running a domestic enterprise, right? Cleaning and, and the upkeep of a structure and all of that crap. Um, I mean, that certainly can be a situation without legal protections, especially where the partner who's doing the domestic labor is at a severe disadvantage. doesn't have to be. It right. can be. And then the question is, why do people, why would anyone prefer it? Right. And I mean, I think, you know, again, there's, you know, it's a multifarious thing. The preferences for some might be sort of baked in having to do with expectations about what's proper uh, to women. On the other hand, you know, people do like their kids quite a bit. Yes. It is somewhat more convenient, especially when you're breastfeeding right. and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, yeah. To be proximate. There's a pre- there's a, a preference that's just driven by sort of cultural momentum and what people want you to do. And then in some cases, the preference you would assume is just driven by what kind of work do I like to do? Do I like to do work around like caring for kids, my own kids, or do I like to do work related to whatever else you might do? And then in that case, you would expect preference to depend on what what your alternative is what kind of other options do you have if your other options are not particularly fun work then you you might prefer to to stay home uh if your options are really like enjoyable and self-fulfilling work then maybe you'd prefer 
to do that. And of course, remembering in all this that someone does that work. Right. So right. It's, it's got to like, be somebody. Like, <laughs> at some point, you got to be like, well, I don't know. Someone must have preference or we hope someone has preference because otherwise we're kind of forcing someone to do it one right. way or another. Right. I mean, remember we, we had that. I had a conversation. I got uh, triggered online and said that I, I get pissed off about sort of kid free events. Uh huh. Not all of them, right? I mean, I, I understand some things are very dangerous or very sexual events and they're strictly adult. Uh, but like weddings, mm-hmm. places to eat, when people are like, don't bring your kids. I'm like, you know, the effect of that is women don't get to go out in public life. Right. Because it's usually the mother who stays home with the kids. And if it's not the mother, it's just some other woman <laughs> who's mm-hmm. like, who can't go do things. You know, it means uh, the nanny or the sitter also can't take the kids to events. Or whatever. Right. I mean, and so I, I, I find that kind of uh, encapsulates what we're talking about here. It highlights the dislocation effect. Someone's going to have to do the child care. Right. Um, and someone's going to have to pay for it. And so I think that helps explain probably quite a bit of the sort of aspiration to stay at home is that child care is so expensive. It can yes. be prohibitively expensive. And also... When you go to work, you know, in the labor market and you have kids at home, even if you're paying for childcare, that service doesn't cover everything. Well, if your kid gets sick, they usually won't you take them. You have to take the kid to the doctor, you know, because the care provider, you know, if it's a daycare, they don't want a sick kid there. Um, or if it's a nanny share like we had, you know, you can't have your sick kid around a well kid. You know, so if your kid gets sick, it's your responsibility to get them into the doctor, for example. And that happens a lot. Um, when they're little or if, you know, if there's anything else, um, if there's a snow day yeah, or something like holidays. that, holidays, holidays, I mean, so it still puts you at a kind of, it can make the, uh, labor market participation very stressful. Just the simple fact of oh, having yes. kids at home, even if you are paying for childcare. So, I mean, all of this is just to say in answer to your initial initial question, I think you can complicate it somewhat more than saying all stay-at-home parenting is, you know, sort of residual patriarchy. There's yeah. certainly going to be a component, but I think that there are lots and lots of other reasons that you see that preference. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I would think that that seems right to me. I mean, and, and especially narrowly speaking, when you think about it as a, as a choice between work, we recognize some people prefer some jobs over others. And so if you, if you recognize that as as being a job then you, you would recognize that well some people would prefer that job over whatever other their job yeah. might be like you know being a, a checkout clerk or, or something like that oh, it's yeah. just sort of monotonous and and boring for a lot of people um and so but then the policy question comes in here yeah. because there are two areas of family benefits where you kind of confront this issue head-on the first is paid leave yeah because you have to decide when someone is doing paid leave, when you're doing a paid leave program, how do you want to allocate the time off? So uh, in my proposal, I say we're going to give 36 weeks of paid leave uh, when you have a child. But then the question is, who do we give those 36 weeks to? That yeah. 36 weeks is total, like the total pot, right? And there are basically three ways to go about this. And the three ways are completely basically driven by your approach to that underlying question about stay-at-home parents or about respecting or not respecting what appear to be preferences about who stays home and who doesn't stay home. So the one approach that you don't see that often anymore, well, one approach is just to give it all to women, which would have been the case uh, when these programs were started like 80, 90 years ago in some countries because they were, you know, this wasn't even a question. It was, you know, yeah. but, but aside from that, the, the, the thing was, is you could just say, all right, here's 36 weeks. You guys figure out how you want to split it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, husband, wife or mother, father or whatever. 36 weeks, you guys figure it out. So you could give all 36 weeks to dad. You could give all 36 weeks to mom. You could split 18, 18. You could do 20 and right. 16. You could do whatever you want. And that is, uh, to, uh, on first glance, sort of the lower case L liberal approach. Right, right. It's Let like, people sort it out. You guys choose. You have infinite choice between how to allocate these 36 weeks. And we'll respect whatever you do. The second approach, which is on the polar opposite end, 
And this is actually where the sort of plurality think tank position in the U.S. is right now. Right. Is no. 18 and 18. Mm-hmm. 18 goes to the to parent one. 18 goes to parent two. They can't swap. If you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. And they don't actually do 18 and 18 because the consensus program right now is 12 and 12, but right. it's a split. So those are what we, you might call individualized benefits. They're specific to the individual. If you would prefer to give more paid leave to the dad or more paid leave to the mom, too bad. Yeah. We, do, we do not respect that preference. Um, and then you have the middle ground mm-hmm. between the two where you say, Look, I want to basically let you guys split this up however you want. But I recognize residually there is uh, a tendency to mostly give it to the woman. Yeah. And that that in part has to maybe do with patriarchal norms. Part and, and separate from that has some problematic impact on people who... On, on women and the labor market and so on, because if the expectation is that they're going to take it all, then bosses are going to be less willing to hire them or whatever. Right. That's the risk. And so the middle ground is to say, all right, 36 weeks, you guys split it up however you want, but the man has to take four of them mm-hmm. or six or whatever. So yeah. you get a collective pot, but there's a male minimum. And he uses use or lose yeah. that amount. You're not going to force them to take it off. But if you don't take it off, you can't use that. So most of the time, you know, who doesn't want time off? Yeah. Um, that is the ultimately the approach I take in the paper. That is the norm in Western Northern Europe for the most part at this point. Um, so can you say a little bit about, and, and I not that I disagree, but just for elucidation, why you think it's important to have that user lose at male minimum? Well, partially I'm just trying to like copy best practices or consensus practices across the world without reflecting too much on it. In the paper, I don't argue much about the point. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's just sort of the easy middle ground. Um, like it's sort of like, well, both sides have a point. Uh, let's just let's just split split the baby or whatever. Um, <laughs> that's sort of the idea. But but yeah, I mean, I, I did I did puzzle a little bit over. Well, maybe we should just give it all to one person, or, or give it all as a, as a pot that could be be used. However, you know, yeah. Um, that, that's where I would ca- almost kind of lean if I had to choose between the two. But I'm not a hundred percent on a, it. A pot um, that could be used, however, because it's just you know it gives more space for different kinds of families with different needs. To exactly. Do what if uh, what if dad is uh, an oil rig man yeah. and he's out in the sea, or what if mom is uh, enlisted and you know has to go go yeah. to the military base or whatever? Like people have a lot of strange uh, all kinds of setups. Yeah. yeah, long long haul truck driver or you know the, not everyone has a consistent thing. So so normally you want to just kind of let people have as much freedom as they as they can. Yeah. I think on these sorts of things. Um, but then, yeah, you do run into the issue where, well, the norm is going to be, let's give it to the woman because well, for breastfeeding purposes and just for, you know, whatever. And you know, that might be bad for, for women in the, in the, in the labor force. Because of the effects it might have on hiring. Yeah. How do you fix that? I mean, I, I tend to think that one way to solve a lot of the anxiety, because this was in that Room to Grow report, the Reformicon yeah. uh, policy program that came out a few years ago, which suggested that uh, state-paid maternity leave was bad because uh, it it would cause, or that was not state-paid, it was employer-paid, right? It was a mandating employer-paid maternity leave was bad. Yeah, I mean, the argument they... Applied to either kind, it seemed like, in their paper. Yeah, but um, it seems like it's a much less pernicious effect if it's state paid. Oh, right? yeah, because it's not money. That's right. right. Yes, yes. If, yeah, if, mandating if it, employers to do it has its own problem. Right. Not just for women, but even for young men, because the, uh, the employer's like, oh, you're of you're childbearing kids, age. Right. I don't want to have to pay a bunch of money to you. But if, you can uh, especially see if, it's, it's, if, this, if the law mandates that employers pay a certain amount of leave, yeah, how th- that would have particularly sharp effects on hiring young women. Yeah, that's very uncommon, though. No one prop- 
imposes yeah. those kinds of mandates. So instead, you kick it to the state. It doesn't really cost the employer anything, except they have to manage an absence, you know, essentially. Yeah, I don't think that's um, that big of a deal. But I mean, it depends on the company, n- it of depends course. On the com- it depends, crucially, and I don't want to get into this fight, but it depends on the size of the company. Right. If you're a big company, it doesn't, you know, it's really not that big a deal to drop a worker for a while because you're a big company. You can patch someone in. You can bring someone in. You're constantly churning through workers anyways. No one's really that special. Um, There was a paper a while ago about, um, about, I don't remember who wrote it. I think it's one of the the top sort of like uh, women's wage gap and women's benefits kind of uh, uh, writers. And, the upshot of the paper to cut it short was that um, the uh, what do you call the pe- the pharmacists, the pharmacists labor market, such as it is, has the wage gap in that in that market has like shrunk a ton over How the years. Come? And the reason given is that pharmacist jobs have become sort of a uh, proletarianized in a sense they still make good money apparently but like you can pretty much swap a cvs pharmacist in and out like a factory worker you know which is not to say there's no skill but it's just like you're not running mom and pop's pharmacy store or whatever you've got this big old enterprise with even in a given city like you take cvs how many cvs's are there in dc uh, I don't know, dozens, maybe hundreds. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you consider it the best of DC. That's true. Yeah. Um, I try to. I get my Postmates. I Postmates some CVS. Uh, One time, I opened up the Postmates app to get some takeout, and I saw that CVS was listed under best of DC. And I was go. like, this is some shit Matt would do. It is one of the better establishments in DC. Um, always clean, well lit. <laughs> um, what's not to like? A uh, nice artisanal CVS. And anyways, anyway, like that's a big employer. Yeah, it's very easy. Oh, uh, she has to take time off for her kid. Not a big deal. We have like literally hundreds of pharmacists and they all do the same thing. There's nothing unique or special about their jobs because we've completely routinized all of them. They just have to follow this checklist or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's like the more you make it a kind of big enterprise where all the little workers are like widgets, <laughs> like it's, I guess, on some level alienating, but also tends to be pro-woman um, or pro-anyone who needs to take leave frequently. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. There is still the issue of managing the absence. Some companies do that without any problem whatsoever. Some companies don't. Uh, have harder problems, especially if they're smaller and, you know, are not as routinized in the way that they've set up their labor situation. Um, So that's one. That's one. That's an interesting one, though. That one is that is the easier problem to deal with because leave is is pretty short. It's a pretty short period of time for most people. Um, This the difficult problem. And this is where we started going a little bit more on the Twitter thread I was in is what do you do about childcare? You've got the paid leave period, which will last, you know, maybe six months or something like that when they're infants. And then you've got the period between six months and school. Yeah. Or six months and preschool, if you want to think about that. I think yeah. people have kind of come to the conclusion that three and up should be in school. Right. Whether pre-K or whatever. So you've got age six months to three years, that two and a half year period. Um, what do you do about that? Given that there are some people who would prefer to stay home and just watch their kid during the day and some people who would prefer to work. And this is where you get into the really interesting debates uh, historically because, you know, again, we go into that kind of three, three, uh, or sort of three possibilities the one of possibilities yeah. to say, d- just like the one where we give everyone a pot of money or a pot of leave that they can provide to anyone. Yes. This sort of maximally liberal, in a sense, approach, uh, lowercase l. You could say we're going to support both choices. 
Yeah. If you want to work, you get free childcare or really heavily subsidized childcare. We'll take care of the childcare bill. You work, you're good to go. If you don't want to work and you want to just do childcare in the home, then we will pay you to do that. Yeah, you get a uh, like a they call that a wage, some kind of a wage. What is it called? It's like a domestic wage. Well, you've got like wages for housework. In in the benefits are usually called home child care allowances. Yeah, and this is this is not uh, this is so this is not unheard of. No, it exists in yeah. a lot of countries. And and uh, care. What do they call it? The cash for care is. Yeah. If you Google that, that is a name people use a lot. CFC. And and and, and interesting about it is that it kind of has these two faces. Where one face of it uh, is, is very anti-feminist. Yes. They're paying women to stay in the home. Yes. And then the other is super feminist. Right. Where they say, look, this is fucking work. Wait. And we should get paid for it. Absolutely. That's the whole wages for housework yeah. conundrum that you run into. The old thing where you look at it and you're like, hell yeah. Why does people who yeah. work in the house are unpaid? And then another person's like... No, you shouldn't work in the house. Yeah, you yeah. You <laughs> Wages should be for house workers is going to make you work in the house, but you need to be out of the house. Right. So you have this um, Jana situation where you have the double faceness of the policy, and it seems impossible to adjudicate. Yes, it's very uncomfortable because you're yeah. like, oh, I could see both, both approaches here. Um, but I think I, I like the idea of the double pot that you suggested. If you want to go into the labor market, we'll cover childcare, and if you don't, you get wages for doing the childcare yourself. Yes, that is the Finnish system right now. That seems wise. Yes. What are the critiques? Well, so the critiques are like you said. Um, this, uh, oh, they use the slogan "trap for women." But men could do it too. Men could do it. That's all gender neutral, but you know, yeah. in practice, it's a l- mostly women. But if it's um, mostly women choosing it. Right. Well, so that gets you back into the preference issue. <laughs> right. Well, what is this preference uh, rooted in? Is it rooted in uh, right. s- uh, systematic patriarchy or cultural patri- patriarchy? Or well, is so it, it seems like some people might choose it for a time. Well, it's, it's, it's necessarily any... only last up until age three. And, it, then, yeah. you, and then, you you know, Andre, you don't get any benefit after that. So f- presumably you go back into the workforce after they're three. Yeah. Um, is that it, it following sort of patterns you can see in statistics from Finland? Is that what people gen- tend to do? A lot of people use this allowance. Um, it's a hot issue right now. The conservative bloc in the country, which is governing yeah. the country right now, has made gestures that they want to weaken it because they want to get more women working. Yeah, like um, Trump said in the SOTU. Yes, yeah, so it, it, that's a kind of funny situation. It is, uh, as, uh, from what I can tell from the reporting and, and having asked some people there, it is an extremely popular benefit. Um, so people do not feel comfortable yeah. in most cases critiquing it. But you will have still on sort of, uh, there are sort of feminist objections on the left who will say, no, we do need to move away from this. You will also hear people argue that this is uh, a classist benefit in some sense because you couldn't, basically they're saying that if you're, if your husband doesn't make a decent salary, you're going to have a hard time staying home anyways, even with the child, even with the home child care allowance. So it only really enables middle class and above women to stay home. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they will say. Um, sometimes, of course, I don't really know what, how that indicates, uh, that you should get rid of it. It, it seems like it could just as well indicate that you should increase the generosity of the benefit, if, if it, you know, like if you're saying the benefit's not high enough to allow someone to be a stay at home parent unless their spouse makes a middle class salary, yeah. well, maybe you should just increase the benefit. Then their spouse could make a lower class salary and it yeah. would be, it would be <laughs> viable. Like this, that doesn't really answer the problem uh, or the question head on, this sort of philosophically complicated question. Um, but yeah, that's what you run into. And so I actually spent a lot of time on this when I was doing the family fun pack yeah, and I found some interesting papers. It, it is curiously thorny. It's like a special kind of logic problem. It is. It is. Yeah. It is it's thrilling to my brain a little bit. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. You don't get these problems that often yeah. where you're like, Oh Jesus. Uh, you can look at it in a different light and see <laughs> yeah. completely opposite effects. I don't know what to do about this. Yeah. Um, so, so what do the Nordics have to say here? Okay. So I was looking, you know, I wanted to see sort of what's the history of this in the, in those countries. Cause it is, Norway, Finland, and Sweden have these kinds of p- 
programs and they do call them cash cash for care programs if you google it or whatever um but there was this paper written by uh ollie kangas for those good the, old ollie kangas the diehards out there know him from the finnish basic income experiment because he's all over the place um he does all this stuff over there um and he goes through the history of these programs and he the the thesis of the paper is it's called Trap for Women or Freedom to Choose. And the thesis of the paper is that uh, he's a sociologist and he's trying to track like how did attitudes on this program form in the, in the various countries and especially in Finland and Sweden because what he finds in the paper is that they, they diverged in weird ways. Like you would think, oh, well, the Nordics, all the Nordic left parties, they kind of had the same opinion on it. And all the Nordic right parties had the same opinion on it cross yeah. country. And he found that's not really what happened. And that you had a, an interesting situation where the left in Sweden, at least most recently, has, has come against this program. And they talk about it as a trap for women. Is this like the furthest left in Sweden? You know, the Social Democrats. Okay. And then the Social Democrats in Finland emphasize freedom to choose. So his sort of whole thesis is like this, these framing effects in the way that the political rhetoric evolved over time has created this divide where if you're in Sweden and you're uh, on a more left-leaning thing, this trap for women has primed you to say, yes, this is bad because, you know, obviously we want women's equality. And then if you're in Finland, you're primed to think freedom to choose. We want women to have a choice. Yeah. Um, the other complicating factor here, and I'm going to read some of the quotes from uh -huh. this paper because he pulls, he pulls stuff from, from party platforms in like the 60s and 70s from the various parties, their opinions on home child care, and yeah. they're like really fascinating. But one of the other things that needs to be uh, <laughs> interjected into the debate is not just, well, what about women at home? What about women working? You know, that, that issue. But there's yeah. this other argument on the on the left that you'll see sometimes, and I've seen this in a, a little bit when I've discussed it with some Nordic peers. Yeah, is they'll say, well, uh, is is commodified labor under a boss? Is that liberation? That's true. I don't know about that. <laughs> I ask myself that because that's an even more difficult conundrum because we've accepted at least on some level that. Yes, being able to get out of the house and work and so on, that, that is liberatory. Yeah. But then we also, on the far left, at least have this view that, no, in fact, working under a boss is slavery. Yeah. It's, it's wage slavery. Or, yeah, it has, it has these uh, definitely oppressive characteristics. Right. So then you're just comparing uh, the two, like, well, which one has more oppression? Right. One is you're oppressed by the patriarchal uh, breadwinner of the home. And yeah. the other is you go out and also probably a man tells you what to do all day yeah. um, for wages and you have to do right. what he says. And your productivity is extracted and you're alienated um, from your work and so forth. Right. And that, I think, has been a, a conundrum in general on the left where there's this uh, tension between, like, not just women getting to work, but also people having access to jobs and so on alongside rhetoric that says working and jobs uh, is oppression is a way for uh, rich people to extract surplus and exploit you. Yeah. It's like, ah, the equality of being exploited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone should be able to equally go out each day and make money for capitalists who tells them what to do. Yeah. Like that would be one sort of jokey way to put it. But then, of course, in the alternative, you're like, well, if they're not out there, they're they're alienated from everyone else. There's a social isolation that occurs. Yeah. Social marginalization that occurs. And that's bad. Yeah. So, you know, how do we navigate that? I mean, you can navigate it and just accept it, the tension in a sense, and be like, look, working under a capitalist order is not good. It's exploitative. It's commodified. There's a boss telling you what to do, but it is not as bad as being outside of the mainstream of your society, marginalized and socially isolated and so on. And so we prefer that. Like that, that could kind of be the way you go. But for the most part, people don't like, people want to be enthusiastic right. <laughs> about what they're proposing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you're proposing, for instance, job guarantee, you don't want to be like, 
Uh, jobs are suck, yes, but um, but you need them. You gotta have it. You gotta you gotta have them to eat, and then you want to be kind of in your social mainstream, and you know, like we don't want people to feel lonely. So yeah, you don't want to put it that way. You want to yeah. be like liberation, freedom for for the working class, and so on. Yeah. And, and the same thing for women working. Um, yeah, exactly. You don't want to have reservations. <laughs> right. That right. that doesn't make for a compelling political project. Yeah. Um. But that but the tension exists in that. Uh, and in it that construction. seems like you know you do hear uh, a lot of at least sort of left liberal proposals around. Well, well, let's just make work somewhat less oppressive. Yes. Right. Let's empower workers and so on and so forth. But you also hear proposals that are like, well, you can also make home life less oppressive. Sure, right. I mean, <laughs> so it's like the, you, the, you, the, the, the equation is balanced on both sides in a way that makes it hard to determine. Right. The the home life one is an is 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 an interesting also from an, a, a number uh, a couple of perspectives. Right. So on the on the one hand, um, the argument for why sort of doing childcare at home or being like a domestic laborer in your own house, the reason why that's oppressive is supposed to be because essentially the husband is your boss and tells you what to do and that sort of thing. But like that doesn't have to be the case. And like, I don't know how much it is necessarily the case these days. Um, Like if you have joint bank accounts and the husband isn't like your sort of de facto boss telling you what to do, but instead you just kind of wake up and do your job, uh, which is, you know, taking care of the kids and so on, then I don't know that that has to be inherently anything, you know. I remember, like, when I lived by myself, I had to do a lot of domestic work. It did feel oppressive uh, because I don't like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who likes cleaning. Yeah. But, but I didn't, uh, but uh, clearly no one was oppressing me in the yeah, sense. Well, like, I didn't have a, a husband or... You're not alienated from it. You're like, I'm right. cleaning my own house. I it, get to enjoy this benefit. <laughs> exactly. That's the, it, that is the the flip side of it. If you're right. a, a Marxist or if you're someone who really doesn't like commodification of labor, in-home work that you do directly for your family, that is consumed directly by your family, you're not selling it to a market. You're not selling your yeah. labor. You're not selling your product. Right. The product is like a, a raised kid, if you yeah, will. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's cleaning, the product is a clean house or, the food, you make, or yeah. the food you make. None of that product is being produced for a market. There are no wages. Yeah. There's no labor. You get to consume the benefit of it directly. That is the decommodified utopia in a nutshell. Which is when and, and I think that's why you get Marxist feminist critiques saying like, well, there's more to the picture. Yes. Than that. Well, and, and I, I always thought that the reason why when you present that, everyone's like, I see your argument, but I don't accept it. Yeah. It, it, the, like what's actually going on there is that what we recognize is it's not so mo- commodification is bad, but also work is bad. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. separately. I, I can also have a, don't like toiling. I don't like toiling. And that that's what leads me very much into the work reduction camp yeah. instead of like the people who are like, no, no, no. Once we uh, change the social relations of production, people will love to go to work. I'm like, no, no they never. won't. What you want to do is you just want to cut hours as aggressively as you can, but you know, don't like make anyone go hungry or whatever. But leisure like, time. Let's just amp up leisure time, amp up vacation. Get those domestic robots going. Every hour you don't work is an hour of freedom. Do you remember when you proposed um, several robots that we could obtain uh, that it would uh, cause us to never have to interact with our cat again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I was joking a little <laughs> no, bit. With you the were cat, like, uh, you were like, you could have a litter box cleaning robot and a food dispensing robot, and you could even have a petting robot and a little cannon to launch his ball that he likes to fetch. Uh, and then we'll never have to interact with our pet ever again. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the little cow scratchers. <laughs> you the you were inspired by the rolling cow scratchers. Yeah, the cow like runs up to it and, it, and it's motion sensing and it scratches it. <laughs> You're like, and the cow <laughs> loves it. That would set us free of the labor of having a pet. Yeah, we'll just have a little automatic petter. Um, <laughs> like, oh, but I do think that I think the domestic robots is going to be an amazing in- innovation when those Absolutely. start happening. If I could have some robots keep this place in order, yeah. I certainly wouldn't choose to do it, even though it's non-commodified absolutely um so i think that drives home especially the rise of automation in the home rise it, it drives home your point that commodification is bad but work is also it's bad. Just bad i mean some of it's enjoyable but a lot of it isn't and there's nothing there you're like going to be able to like do a, to make it enjoyable a robot nanny like in the jetsons rosie absolutely and uh, she who wouldn't want that put on blippy i mean the thing is we have a ton of robots in the home and the yeah. fact that they've been universally adopted kind of tells you this like for instance 
uh, washing machines, oh, yeah. uh, microwaves, dish. fridges, yeah. <laughs> like all of those things are, are there for automating labor essentially. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't want to take my shit down to the river to wash it. Yes. <laughs> um, even though it's non-commodified and very natural. <laughs> but here's the other thing. There are issues with conservatives as well because yes. the cons- there's a conservative, uh, tension and problem that they have. Because conservatives are more likely, though they wouldn't put it in these terms, to lean into, oh, yes, we do want women to stay at home because, you know, conservatives have a, uh, a lot of them have a a sort of patriarchal bent to them, right? But here's the issue that they run into because you'd think, oh, well, hey, you're a conservative. You want a quote-unquote traditional family, by which we mean male breadwinner, woman stay at home, that sort of thing. So you should support a benefit program that pays women who stay at home or pays whatever parent, whatever. You should be in support of home child care allowances, you know. And the thing is, in other countries, you do see this, right? You have seen historically uh, some conservative parties and conservative politicians who come out really hard for the home child care allowance precisely for this reason, right? And so they, and so for, for instance, the Christian democratic parties, which are sort of an interesting European phenomenon of, they are, I don't know, they're, they're sort of socially conservative, but they're depending on the country, they're much more open to the welfare state and so on than, than we have here. And for a lot of them, especially in like Finland or Sweden, the preservation of the home child care allowance is like their thing. That's their number one issue. Home right. child care allowance because they want, you know, traditional family, et cetera, et cetera. And, but, but the problem you run into there is that conservatives also typically don't like the welfare state. And two, they especially, the ones who say they want, want women to stay home and that sort of thing and this sort of, you know, traditionalist or patriarchal or whatever you want to call it orientation they really have in mind a certain kind of woman. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, so not only is there a racial element to it, but there's certainly a class element to it. And when you put it all together, you know, the sort of idealized conservative image of the woman staying home is a middle or upper class white woman staying home. They don't feel that comfortable about one for, for single single mothers staying at home. They don't feel comfortable about poor women staying home. They don't feel comfortable about people of color staying home necessarily like sort of lower class people of color and that sort of thing they don't they don't like that and so they wind up in this really complicated position where they're like we need to support uh, stay-at-home mothers my debate with larry mead yes lawrence mead of welfare reform fame yeah introduced as the intellectual godfather of welfare reform i debated him at johns hopkins a while back on work on this exact question essentially and the issue of sort of in-home uh, labor came up, and uh, he effectively said, well, I support it if your husband is rich enough. <laughs> yes, no, well, because um, he had this thing, you have to serve someone else. That was his thing. Right, that's that, how you contribute to society. That's how he gets out of like, well, why are you okay with married women staying home and taking care of their kids, but you're not okay with single women taking home mm-hmm. and taking care of their kids? If the thing is they need to work, well, they're both working or neither of them are working, right. whichever He's you like, want to no, do it. No, because married rich women who stay home, they're working for their husbands. They work for their husbands. That's where that's he what went he with said. It. Absolutely. And, I and was the like, single mother, she works for no one. I was like, do they not work for the child? They work for the kid. <laughs> like the kid is the beneficiary. Larry, have you ever taken uh, care of a goddamn kid? <laughs> <laughs> like it's just <laughs> you it's, obviously work for the child. It's just mistaken. And then like, well, who do childcare workers work for? Yeah, who watches you say, the well, They work Larry. for their boss. And you're like, well, okay, so let's create a little company called the government child care company and we'll employ every mother to care <laughs> yeah, for their exactly. kid. Like, I mean, like, well, is it the structural form that you, you right, need a right. company in here or like what? Yeah. Um, but it, it was obviously a way of dealing with that class issue. No, no. He's trying to get to the conclusion that he wants to get to, which is that we can't provide benefits to single mothers. They need to go work. But yeah, you know, the middle class white woman who stays home, that's good. And we should support that. And, you know, the rest is sort of filled in from there. Um, But this has been a complication that they've had to deal with. So we go back to the paper, Trap for Women or Freedom to Choose. And you have over time in these countries, you had conservatives who have been very against these 
programs and conservatives that have been very for these programs. So the issue scrambles not just your own brain, as you try to figure out, okay, is working uh, leftist? Is not working leftist? Is staying at home working? Is it working for someone? Is it patriarchal? Not only does it scramble your brain abstractly and scramble your brain about what you should do about it, but it scrambles these parties. It scrambles them across countries. So some conservative parties in, in like, say, uh, Finland are now trying to kind of cut back on this home child care allowance, even though they're supposed to be conservative and that sort of thing. Uh, and then in other countries, the conservatives, this is their big thing. No, we need to protect yeah. uh, the home child care thing. The other thing that they that the conservatives will talk about uh, to some degree is, is you know, like it's a sort of like the homeschooling thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, you want to put the kid off in the daycare center so you can uh, brainwash them into liberal right, uh, liberalism right, right. or whatever. And so that's another tension that they run into. They don't want the kids going to the state to, to you know, yeah, teach them to tolerance or whatever. Yeah. So I promised that I would read from some of these quotes because I think these quotes are incredible. And my favorite one, this was a quote from the Finnish Rural Party. Love it. Not the Finnish Center Party, which was the agrarian party, but the Finnish Rural Party, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, it was a kind of, uh, I would say, a sort of Matt Stoller-ish party. They were big into like populism we were against big business and so on but yeah. they also hated socialism right which was a live issue in finland and you know <laughs> in all these countries for a while because yeah. we're in the cold war finland's right by russia there were a lot of socialists a lot of communists and so on so it was like a real thing and so they're like no our position is yeah we hate the rich yeah we hate the big companies and big business we also hate the socialism though against the socialism too that's always down thread um yes <laughs> And so here's their quote. <clears throat> here's how they thread this together. This is, uh, that framework will help you see where they go with this, okay? Parents of children should have the possibility and the right to choose whether they want to care for small children at home or leave them at a daycare center. Such possibility of choice does not, however, exist in Finland because family-hostile forces of big money and socialism have wanted children to daycare away from the sphere of influence of mother and home. On the one hand, rich entrepreneurs have benefited from an arrangement whereby more mothers have been forced to the labor market than there have been jobs. And on the other hand, socialists who benefit, who want to make children an obedient group in the command socialist society. So they say, ah, daycare is both a big business and socialist plot. Because it's the, the big business loves it because they get the women that they can uh, exploit in yeah. the workforce. And the socialists love it because they want to create these little socialist baby robots yeah. that uh, will be the workers in their future command, uh, uh, you know, uh, Soviet economy or whatever. Um, yeah. So that was sort of their perspective on it. And then we have this statement from the Social Democratic Women's Union. So this was sort of the women's... Uh, caucus of the social democratic party in uh in finland i believe this is finland no this is sweden this is sweden this is in 1965 okay the home child care allowance is an instrument for creating equality to guarantee greater freedom of choice to young families whether they choose to stay at home during the child's first years or prefer to continue in working life so the Social Democrats are for it in Sweden in the 1960s because they say this creates equality and freedom between families and gives women choice. Um, they don't actually use women, so they're already gender, gender neutral at this point, right? The conservatives in this year say, quote, we find it in principle unpleasant that the state should pay for the natural tasks included in the parenthood. So they're referring to the home child care allowance. They don't think... The government should pay for these natural tasks of caring for your own child at home. Such a step would mean a further step towards general socialization. It is important that the state is impartial and financially facilitates different thinkable alternatives. Women must have the option to choose whether to stay at home or go to work. So they are, in theory, of the view, yes, women should be able to choose to work or, or stay at home with the kid. They should be able to essentially choose daycare or home care but they don't want the government to pay the home care allowance because that is socialization, collectivization. It is, you know, Oh yeah. It is bad socialism. Um, so 
Now, remember, here's the uh, a contradiction because the Finnish rural party is saying, no, socialism is putting kids in daycare centers. Right. right? And the Swedish conservatives party is saying, no, socialism is playing home child care allowance because you're socializing and collectivizing a private function of, ch- of child care in yeah. the home by paying it and making it an object of public compensation and so on. And you get that tension even now in the discussion I had on, on the Twitter thread. You had one person who would say, no, we want to socialize uh, these sort of functions, which means daycare. That is the yeah. true and proper socialist position is to bring it out into society and right. out of the home. But then you have this other position that says, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> socialization of it means uh, compensating it collectively in the home. Like that is its own sort of socialism. You're paying them and you know, they also have no boss and, and they're doing their own private child rearing, but now, yeah. it's, uh, now it's being publicly compensated. So that's a kind of socialism as well. Um, and so it's being opposed as socialist in both ways. The home child care allowance is socialist and therefore should be opposed. And yeah. the daycare is socialist and therefore should be opposed. So there's no so- non-socialist way forward. Um, At the end of the day... It's all socialism. It's a land of contrast. <laughs> it's a land of contrast. And then finally, I'll finish with this one. This is where the, I guess you would say the current social democratic approaches. So this quotes from 1994, but it seems to be where they're at now. This is the trap for women one. Child home care allowance becomes a trap for women and its marginal costs are enormous. For women who choose to stay at home, home child care allowance is a setback to equality. Women, again, become dependent on their husband's income and they lose their foothold in the labor market. So that becomes that position. Well, how are you dependent on your husband's income if you're getting an income? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, this becomes more of like, well, aren't you just saying the benefit is too stingy? Like, why don't you make the benefit more yeah, generous? Yeah, juice so. that bitch up, yeah. Yeah, it becomes, yeah. This is a critique that only applies to certain benefit levels. It doesn't really seem to apply to the benefit itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't um, a principled objection. But, you know... People, they're not always precise uh, in their in their critiques or whatnot. Um, but anyways, I guess to close it out, since we're nearing uh, we're nearing an hour here, I will tell you how I resolve the problem in the paper. Paper is not out yet, but you know, for the brewheads, the sneak peek. The brewheads get the sneak peek. I say in the paper, every child gets from age six months to age three free childcare spot in a public child care center it's going to be run by the municipalities meaning most likely the school districts this is very common municipal daycare you know we're basically in that now ourselves um but you have an option to opt out so sort of by default you go into the child care center that's kind of set up you don't really have to do anything you just kind of just like you're enrolling a kid for school you know all right and it's there and it's free there's no money changing hands or anything like that or you can opt out. And if you opt out, we'll give you a home child care allowance. And the home child care allowance is going to be set equal to the per child costs of child care. So you could think about it like, well, how many kids does a given child care worker, how many kids do they usually care for at a, given, at a time? The child, the care to child ratio is like four to one. I think that's the like at least, uh, you know, recommended amount. So you say, okay, each child care in a child care center, they typically take care of four kids. So what we're going to do is we're going to take their wages, we're going to divide it by four, and that's how much you can get for a kid that you're caring for at home. So you're essentially getting paid the same per child wages. Of course, you're not going to have four kids at once probably, so you're not going to make as much as a child care worker, but on a per child basis, you'll make the same. And so in that sense, it's kind of agnostic about which one you want to do. But insofar as you can't really fully live on the pay, you know, one fourth of a, of a child carer's income that might nudge people a little bit more into the child care area um, in the, into the child care choice. So, you know, that's sort of how I've settled it. Basically, again, I just sort of take the finish yeah. approach and say, all right, we're going to do that here. Um, so, but, you know, the net result of that is going to be probably more, you know, if we're just being realistic and we recognize that there are a lot of people who have this latent preference for being stay-at-home parents, but who don't realize that preference currently, if you make it possible for them to realize that preference, many people will realize that preference. Yeah. 
And it's not that big a deal because we're only talking about people who have children in the home between the ages of 0.5 to 3, which is a rather small group of people. It's like it's not a big macro problem, but it's going, it, it might disturb some people who have that more hardline view about this is a trap and so on. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah. Well, you know. so some people still think it's socialism. So some, I, I still think it's socialism. So I'm still, I'm still out here for it. Um, but, but yeah, so I hope that was interesting. I, I do think the philosophical questions are really, really, really rich and there are people get really spun around in this. Some people get really like eager on it as well. Like, no, 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 this is the real thing, you know? And you're like, no man, it's actually really, it actually kind of breaks your brain a little bit to work through it. Um, but hopefully I've struck the right balance. It is complicated. I mean, but, but I, but I, I think that's right. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.